0: Hello and welcome. I'm so excited to be welcoming you back to this episode. We've just finished recording it. I reckon this is one of the best ones we've done. You're listening to, oh, well, my name is Goose and you're listening to the Investor Lab, but more specifically the Property and Business series. And I am with my property pal, my business buddy, Charlie. How are you?
1: A pleasure as always to be here, and of course, being on the intro because people who are listening have a ton—and I mean a ton—of goodies to get into.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, um, man, this episode was absolutely. I'm going I'm to say it was sick. It was so sick. And the reason I say sick in a good way, not in an unhealthy way or gross or anything like that, we we really busted apart something that I've been thinking about a lot. And I think that that every business owner and every property investor and any, well, every human should really start questioning themselves. And the question is, what am I optimizing for? And We really touched on a heap of really good stuff in this episode. We talked about, um, you know, what, what are you optimizing your business for? What, how 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 the rich think about wealth building? We talked about. I went and spoke with heaps of different accountants in this past week, and I tell you what, Charlie, we've opened up a can of worms in terms of how all this kind
1: of stuff works. What are your biggest takeaways? My biggest takeaway has absolutely been your conversations with the accountants. I think there's some correlations there that have confirmed a few things that I wanted to believe. They've made me realigned with the strategy I think is right for most people who are business owners. Mm. And I think it's also clarified, well, I'm just going to say it, that I think negative gearing might be a strategy only for the middle class, not for those who want to be wealthy. Yeah, totally. For, uh, more specifically for people who, uh, for people who are, are going to be trapped in the middle middle class or lower class, I would say. Hugely so, hugely so. And I will say this, I also agree the episode was sick. I might even send you a get well card. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> nice. Well, we we talked. We also talked about uh, a heap of other stuff in in this episode too, like how to think about structuring your business if you are optimizing for wealth. We talked about the benefits of, you know, um, the benefits and drawbacks of profit and distribution versus payg and a whole bunch of other stuff. So we went down a lot of different uh, pathways here. We shared a lot of uh, interesting stories as well, real life stories of people who have had to try and navigate these kind of pitfalls and how you can sort of I guess avoid some of those mistakes, you know, really lean on the experiences of others so that you can get to where you want to go faster and better and in a in a much more powerful, powerful way. So I absolutely love this episode. And and I think that uh, a lot of people are going to get a lot out of this. Charlie, anything else to add before we get
1: into it? No, just that I want to say we love the feedback. Make sure you do absolutely subscribe to the show if you're not already and share this with another business owner. Our yeah. whole ambition here is we want all the business owners out there to retire well and retire wealthy. So back to you guys.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, totally. And I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't emphasize that and echo that further. You know, if this has been a benefit to you, then please share this with somebody else. You know, if there is this paradigm in here that affected you in some way, it's probably going to affect somebody else as well. And if the greatest gift that you can give somebody else is the gift of prosperity. And if this can help them on that journey, then then I believe it's your obligation to try and help somebody else in this life. So please do that. If not for me, do it for them. And as Charlie said, subscribe. And of course, if you actually want to get access, to free tools, free guides, uh, copy of my book or any other you know episodes of this amazing podcast and all of the good stuff. We basically provide enough resource for free at theinvestorlab.com.au that if you wanted to go and build wealth in real estate, if you wanted to unpack all of this kind of stuff and go and find success in property, you can just go to that website and get all of the information for free and go and do it yourself. That is our gift to you to help you to get to where you want to go. And of course, if you want our help with it, you can contact us on the website as well. But Without any further ado, let us get stuck right into it. I'm so excited to get your feedback from this one, guys. And let's get stuck into it. I'll see you on the inside. Hey, guys, welcome back to another fantastic episode of the Property and Business Series on the Investor Lab. Charlie, my main man, my property pal, my business buddy, what is going on? i tell you what,
1: a week is a long time in real estate, I've decided. I feel like in the last <laughs> week since we recorded another episode, uh, my experience and understanding of this whole game and environment is just like, I feel like my head's just blowing off every week. I'm like, oh, this has happened. So it's a, a very exciting and deep game. And the deeper I get into this, the more I uh, enjoy it, in all honesty. Uh,
0: it's a fascinating world, particularly when you start to break it apart in and apply kind of business thinking as well to real estate. It's, it's like I liken it to having an intellectual acid trip. You know, it's very, it's very explorative. And ultimately, I think very enjoyable if you like uh, to be intellectually stimulated and financially rewarded. I think it's a phenomenal uh, uh, environment to to be in. So,
1: yeah. Would well, you know what I find interesting there? It's probably one of the most polarizing spaces I've ever seen. And what I mean is you'll go into certain areas and there's just two distinct camps and it's like they just won't listen to each other at all very well. Mm. So, right now, I'm doing a bit of a deep dive on lending. Like, uh, I mean, you know my personal circumstance, but other people may not. I'm doing a bit of refinancing and assessing borrowing at the moment. I'm going through that, and just listening to how different people think the way to go is about doing that versus others is just astonishing. Like it's just not a black and white game at all.
0: No, no, it's absolutely not. It, and um, you know, there's been some interesting announcements this week about um, you know lending laws getting relaxed and all of that kind of stuff. But nonetheless, it's like it is a you know we've said it before on this on this podcast. You know, real estate is a game of finance with a few houses thrown in the in, in the middle, and. Understanding how to navigate that finance piece is half of the sport, I think. So, Absolutely. which actually is um, which actually kind of lends into, uh, I, I guess, probably a good start, a good place for us to start with the topic that we want to talk about today. So. Over this past week, for me, I've been doing a lot of thinking. So we've been doing a lot of quarterly planning and all of that kind of stuff for the team, for the business, for ourselves personally. I've been on a bit of a, an accountant, uh, accountant-a-thon. I've, I've spoken this week with, I think, five six different accountants this week, not just because I have this desire to hang out with accountants, though, hey, accountants, if you're listening, I love you. It's fantastic. Um, I feel like you've become more monotone since you've done it. You've become more boring. no, no. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe 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 but like the, now the function of why I've been meeting with all of these accountants is um, because is for the single purpose that I wanted to get exposure to as many different uh, thinking paradigms around business owners structuring uh, building wealth in their um, company. so in their life that was kind of the that was kind of the thing. so everyone that I've met with I've said, hey, we have clients, they are business owners. I want to know what is the best way for them to convert. Their business revenue into personal wealth, and this has actually been a uh, a big thinking paradigm for me this week. I've I do I do a lot of thinking time. I, I you know I, I probably I spend at least one hour every day just just thinking just thinking about questions. And the big one on my mind this week has been what am I optimizing for? And uh, and I think that this is a question that a lot of business owners could do with asking themselves: what am I optimizing for? Uh, and so I kind of want to talk to talk today about optimizing for wealth. Great
1: topic. Mm. I find that such an interesting idea that you even ask that question because for a lot of business owners, I'll put a theory out there. For the first few years of their business, what they're optimizing for is actually survival. Like yeah. it's just like pay the bills, pay everyone. And I think some business owners stay in that area too long and then that becomes their habits and behaviors. And then for the entirety of their business career, they never move past that whole idea past how do I survive? And like, how do we just put more money in the bank account every month? It's like this feed the sausage machine mentality, like just take in anything where they never have that bigger thought and then down the road, obviously, miss out on immense opportunity. To- totally.
0: And this is kind of like why I, why I wanted to talk about it because I, 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 me personally, my experience, the experience of friends, the experience of family, the experience of uh, peers in different industries, I've seen I've seen people optimising for different things. I've seen people optimising for growth. And they've optimized for growth, um, but they haven't optimized for profit, and they've gone broke, and that has not worked because they've they've chased top line, not bottom line. I've seen business owners operate uh, optimize for uh, net cash, which has actually kind of stuffed them up because in doing that, they've focused on. Uh, minimizing their taxable uh, taxable income you know creating the most amount of highest amount of ta- highest tax return rates all of that kind of stuff I've seen business owners that have optimized for low taxes I've seen business owners that have optimized um, for all kinds of different things but one of the big conversations that I you know what and I actually did a I googled, I googled this I actually googled optimizing your business for wealth because I was like surely there's conversation out here around that around that term and you can really scroll through. You can scroll through probably a couple of pages of, of Google searches if you search that, and you'll you won't really find any conversation around optimizing your business for wealth outside of this idea, this esoteric idea that if you grow your business bigger, you are getting more wealthy, which I think is completely incorrect.
1: Untrue. Can I can I ask you a question here? When you say optimize for wealth, mm. how do you envision that? Like, what does that mean to you, and how would you define it? That's a great question.
0: That is a great question. That's something I think about a lot. Like, what is wealth? You know, wealth, wealth by, you know, wealth by definition is an abundance of valuable possessions or money. Now, Naval, Naval Ravacart, been listening to his podcast uh, recently. He would define it, and I think this is a fairly good definition, actually. He would define it as uh, assets. So could be cash, could be whatever, assets which create money for you when you're not there. Simple, right? So business. You know, business can be can be uh, you know, you can you can create wealth in business. You can create businesses that can operate without you being there and operate day and night and all of that kind of stuff, and and produce that kind of uh, situation. Now, the concept around that is that Naval Ravikant is a Silicon Valley angel investor, and you know all of this kind of stuff. So his wealth building strategy is centered around that. But even in that, he builds a portfolio of businesses, and that is how he structures his wealth building strategy. Which most business owners aren't either in a position to or have the uh, capacity or understanding to build a portfolio of businesses, right? So now when I'm talking about building wealth, I'm thinking about how can I convert my current resources into other resources which will produce a higher net return without me having to contribute more energy and effort. So for example, taking money out of your business
1: and investing in real estate. Do you think of it, and I might be way off here, which is why I'll ask it. It, if we were to simplify this is building wealth about moving active strategies into passive strategies yeah
0: I believe is, so is is that that sim- yeah. I yeah I believe so i believe so because like by by nature if you want if you want your assets to work for you when you're not there that is there's not, no nothing in life is truly passive it's all about leverage now leverage is about much more than just debt people say leverage and people go, ah, debt yeah debt right no no De- debt is a form a form of financial leverage but debt is not leverage by nature. Leverage is about uh, getting the maximum return for the minimum effort. Okay. So you can have a lot of leverage in your business. Real estate is a very high, highly leveraged um, asset class. And I don't just mean from the financial capacity, but by the nature of the fact that it's quite stable, um, It's you know gives you good returns, all of that kind of stuff, and you don't need to do much to it. Now, to say that you don't need to do anything with a real estate portfolio would be you know, to completely misrepresent it because at some point you might need to speak to your property manager. You may like, you you know, it doesn't mean you need to do a lot of work, but you're going to need to have some interaction with it. So to that degree, I think, you know, simplifying it down to that, you know, converting active active strategies into passive or converting, you know, converting active assets into reliable recurring revenue assets and stuff like that, I think would be the best way to think about it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I really don't like the word passive in general. No.
0: I, I want it to
1: be more like leveraged. (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah, like passive basically means you know it's static and it's not doing anything, right? Passive. I, 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 agree. I'm not a big fan of the passive income, but you know, highly leveraged returns. You know, effective effective uh, hourly rates. You know, the the return on energy ROE is a really great measure of uh, of metric and leverage as well. So.
1: Okay, so we've got the idea of like we're optimising for wealth, which I love as a thinking concept. Yeah, I think it changes the whole way you assess what you're doing when you look at that. I really, really like that as a concept. I think a lot of – at least ask the question. I would love every business owner to ask that question. Maybe they're not at that stage yet, but it, it should definitely be something they get to at a point
0: I'm just going to jump in there. I think that every business owner should be thinking about it at every stage, right? And I, I agree that 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 in the first, in the early stages, you're probably thinking, "Oh my God, survive!" Right? What do I need to do to put food on the table, to pay the bills, uh, to get to the next month? But I would, th- I think it's foolhardy to not be thinking about what is this, how is this going to be a wealth strategy for me? I, I would suggest that um, if we could, if we could inject that thinking paradigm into the very seed of every entrepreneurial venture. I think that we'd have a lot, a lot, a lot of healthier, happier entrepreneurs. I, I really, genuinely do. That doesn't mean that um, taking money out of the business and putting it into real estate is the priority at that point in time. But you need to be optimizing the way you're thinking about how you're building your business and why. You know, understanding the the numbers around it and why you need to you know, pay attention to gross profits and stuff like that. So you can actually, see so from the very early, you can build the infrastructure that is going to allow you to build a business that is optimized for wealth as opposed to going, oh, hang on a second, I'm five years in, uh, what do I do now? Oh, now I optimize for wealth. I don't think it should necessarily be a switch. Though, if you have built that that kind of business where you're like, all right, I'm here, I'm doing it. And I guess if I just do it really well for like the next 10 years, um, I guess I'm going to make a bunch of money and we're going to get there at the end.
1: I'm just laughing that you're describing my uh, thinking of the earlier years of my business right there. Yeah. I I have regrets. I literally have regrets. And um, I looked at it in that pretty much that I was like, right, just focus on business, just focus on business, just focus on business. If we get this well, then I'll think about wealth. Yeah. Then I'll think about it. And like we did that for easy five years. Like All we did is every cent we made, we just pay down the mortgage, pay down the mortgage pay down the mortgage, can't think about anything else above that. I look at back at that now and I think of the opportunity cost I probably lost in doing that and mm. not understanding this stuff. But I do very much question if my business would have been as successful or if I would be in the same position today because maybe I wouldn't have been as focused or just business. So there's pros and cons. I think there are pros and cons. And here's the thing like, I don't, th- I think,
0: I, I think that this um, this black and white paradigm of like, all right, I'm either focusing on my business or I'm focusing on taking money out of the business, right? I mean, the pain it or it's paying me, uh, one or the other. I think that that's, I think that that's probably a broken way of thinking. So if I could encourage people to think about it differently, it's like, what do every business should grow? If it's not growing, it's dying. It's pretty simple. You know, a static business, a static business is actually, sta- is, is a stagnating business is actually corroding and that's not healthy. It needs to be progressively moving forward. Um, Now, so you, you must in a business, allocate enough time, resources and energy to ensuring the future prosperity and growth of that business, because you don't want your business to fail, you do want it to be a prosperous enterprise. Otherwise, why would you have started it in the first place? But you can all you can do that, and also think, how am I optimizing this for wealth as well? Uh, an interesting, an interesting uh, uh, thought that I had this morning. I was out out for a little walk in Bondi, and I was cruising along, and there's there's this corner. And they're building this beautiful, beautiful house, right? It's this beautiful two-level, quite modern. You know, they've been building it for some time. And, and I was looking at it and I was thinking, man, this is in a pretty good spot. It's on my walking route. I like my walking route. I'm thinking, man, that's pretty cool. I was like, I wonder how much that would be worth. I don't know. I reckon probably like $8 million maybe. You know, it's a pretty decent place in a really good spot and all that kind of stuff. And I was like, hmm, here's the thing with a lot of business owners is that they they – I think foolishly believe that um, if they just focus on building their business, that at some point in the distant future, they're going to be able to sell it, which is probably a fallacy for most business owners because they haven't created saleable businesses as part of their key strategy.
1: 66% of businesses that are listed for sale don't sell. Casino. Oh, you know, that is hectic. 66. Yeah. Two-thirds of businesses that are listed for sale don't sell. Yeah, and that doesn't include the businesses that disclose, like they just... Dis- Shut the doors. That's all listed.
0: Man, that's hectic. I didn't know that. That is hectic. Okay, so that lends even more weight into it, right? So so I think a lot of business builders, they think, right, what I'm going to do for like the next 10 years, right, is I'm going to build this business. I'm going to shovel every last cent back into it. Uh, I'm not going to worry about paying myself too much money. I'm going to, you know, sweat, sweat, grind, sweat, grind. And then in 10 years time, I'm going to sell it for 10 million bucks. Yahoo, happy days. And then what happens when you got the 10 million bucks? All right. I'm going to go buy my dream house. So I'm going to buy it in cash, right? This was kind of all percolating in my mind this morning. Again, like, my
1: exact fantasy. Continue on. I'm enjoying it so far.
0: Yeah. And then I was like, okay, <laughs> right. So
1: let's just say I built
0: my business. And this is the thinking that I was having this morning. Well, let's just say I built my business, right? And I've sold it. And I sell it for like, I don't know. Let's just say I sold it for 8 million bucks. And I went, ah, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to buy or build my dream house. And it's this house that I can see on the corner being built. All right and so I was walking through the situation in my mind where I bought the dream house. I've, it's fully paid off. I don't own a cent. And I'm sitting in my house with Gabby and I'm looking out the window and I'm thinking, man, I wish I had something to eat. Because I had no cash. I've got no cash flow, right? Because I've got this fully paid off asset and I've got no actual cash. And I think that there's this kind of idea that money equals wealth or, or big equals rich. And these kind of paradigms, these thinking uh, you know, structures really
1: need to be broken apart because I just don't think that that's what people should be thinking about. It's so interesting. It's so interesting that I think I will, I will speak for myself and not for other business owners, but what you've basically just described was me, like absolutely the thought patterns I'd have. It was only till um, I suppose I started getting some education and looking into it that I had that epiphany. It's like it doesn't work that way. Yeah. Like that's actually the completely opposite effect you would be creating, like the cause and effect. And can you imagine actually doing it and working it out maybe you're 60 or something and that happens and you get to that point and you look back and go, oh, regret. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, still to sell a business for that much is a, a great achievement, and I think you'll be very proud of that. But I think you would be misaligned with what you thought it would do with you. Totally, I should say. Totally, and I also think it's a mistake
0: to think that you wouldn't be able to do. better. so, if if you if the thinking was like, oh, okay, hang on a second. So, what are we? What are they saying? I could either like grow a business and sell it for eight million dollars, or I could go and buy real estate. Uh, to to think that those two things are completely separated, I think, is a fallacy, right? If you want to build. If you actually want to build a saleable business, you need to think about that. You need to think about the future. And this is where I think a lot of business owners, going back to where we started, aren't thinking about what they're optimizing for. You know, They're just thinking, all right, as long as I make more revenue than last year, it means my business is growing, right? And as long as I make more again the next year, I'm still growing. And if I just keep doing that, then... By proxy, somewhere along the line, I'm going to end up with a lot of money, uh, either because my business will suddenly magically start spouting more profit, um, which is probably unlikely unless you really pay attention to it, or I'm going to be able to sort of maybe somebody, so maybe someone's going to walk along and just go, man, I really love your business. Can I buy it? And I'm going to get rich and happy days. Uh, Firstly, I think if you want to, if you need to think, be thinking about what function does your business serve in your wealth creation strategy? Now, a lot of businesses aren't built to sell. A lot of businesses, even if you wanted to build them to sell, might you might not be able to. They just might not have hold enough asset value. You might have too much key man risk and stuff like this. You know, it might be too intrinsically tied to the skill sets and knowledge of the owner, unless you can pick all that apart and specifically structure it to be saleable. But most business owners aren't thinking about what is my business in my wealth strategy. They're just thinking like, oh, I guess we just make money, right? I think that's the function. Is that the function? Whereas I think if you want to really think about optimizing for wealth, you can optimize for wealth within your business, but I also think that you need to be optimizing for wealth outside of your business and really putting that putting that to work. Because if you were to put yourself in this in a similar situation where, you know, you built a business for ten years and then you know you managed to sell it for um, you know eight million dollars, and then you had also along the way built a $5 million property portfolio and that's paying you, I don't know, let's, I'm just making, pulling numbers out of the air, but let's say that's paying you $5,000 a month, for example. And then you went to Bondi and you saw this amazing place that had been built on a corner and you said, "Wow, I wonder how much that is for rent and that's gonna cost you, I don't know, $5,000 a month, for example, to, to rent, that might be all your cash flow from properties, but you have still got $8 million and then you've got money to spend. And I think thinking about how to structure these in different ways, on a wealth strategy is so important because this is, I think, one of the biggest reasons why business owners typically end up, you know, burnt out, tired, and really don't have a lot to
1: show for it. It's interesting. Good, a good friend of mine. Shout out to Dave Jennings. He's probably uh, one of the, I'd say, he's probably one of the best thinkers on the idea of actually creating a saleable business. Um, very, very clever guy. It's, but when I look at the way Dave does business compared to the average business owner. He's behaving in a way where his business is almost like a property. Like he doesn't work in it. It has systems for everything. The people and staff that work in it, it's like it's been built as an asset to sell. Yeah. So that it's a part of that journey. It's not, he hasn't been working madly in it, trying to grow revenue and cash flow and created key man risk and built his brand identity into it and done all these things that would make it unsaleable. He's had a very, very different intention from the start. Like he's mm. behaved in complete, I wouldn't say complete opposite, but the pathway he's taken within growing that business has been under the assumption that this is an asset for sale. That's all he, he's really optimised for at all. So he's done that wealth strategy in a completely different way. So I can see how it's doable, but that's not doable in all business types. And that's where what we're suggesting here becomes, I guess, so much more interesting. Yeah, absolutely, right. So if you're
0: if you either don't have the skill set, inclination, or whatever to to whatever, to do to, to do that like David's doing and to build those fully, fully systemized, create created assets. That's what they are. is basically manufacturing assets. If you're That's in, a great
1: way to think about it. I love the way you just suggested that. It's his manufacturing assets. Yeah, absolutely. Much in the same way that you can build
0: a house and you can go, okay, well, what does the market want? The market wants a three-bedroom house with a marble benchtop and I'll manufacture that saleable asset and then I'll either rent it out or I'll sell it to the marketplace. Simple. Um, and it's the same way to think about any business. Now, a lot of people aren't like that and they're not in that position to do that. So then you've got to think about, well, what is? how am I optimizing for wealth within in my business now? Now, and this has been a fascinating journey of conversation uh, over this past week. You know, we I re- we recently had a client who's come to work with us. Total legend, and he's very successful in his own right in in his business. You know, he's had employees, he's downscaled employees, blah blah. blah makes plenty makes plenty of money. And the biggest problem that he's had is the advice that he got uh, early on. Well, you know, up until fairly recently in his business was to optimize for tax minimization. Now, we've kind of touched on this in previous episodes. So I don't want to hang too much on this point. But the problem with that is that it was optimizing for the wrong thing. Now, he's actually done pretty well in property, but the problem is he's now gotten completely stuck because on paper, he basically doesn't, he's basically broke. He, I was going to say he doesn't make any money. He doesn't make any <laughs> money. Even though
1: he makes lots of cash, he makes loads of money. He makes loads I, load, of I money. just laugh at this as possible. So wait, he's rich. But doesn't look rich. Oh, he makes money, but doesn't look like he's making money. And somehow that was the plan. And he can't, yeah, and he can't <laughs> do anything with it. This
0: is the problem. He can't do anything with it. So, you know, the fact that, the fact of the matter is for him to now ne- and now he's in a position where he's like, oh my God, I got the bad about the bad advice. Now I want to optimize for wealth. Like I want to be able to go and buy houses. And he's already done pretty well in property. But the, and the thing is he's got loads of equity and he's and he makes a good he makes a really good amount of cash. Right? He's got really good equity in two properties. One of them is a commercial property producing a lot of uh, net income and he makes a lot of cash and he still can't borrow any money. Well, almost can't borrow any money. He's had to go to you know third and fourth tier lenders, go no doc, pay exorbitant interest. The cost of money is tremendous. But... Versus having to now go on a two-year journey to re-optimize his business for wealth, i.e. to produce enough you know, net profit, gross profit, uh, PAYG, salary statements, all of that kind of stuff for him to actually be able to use any of the assets that he's created, i.e. his business, to be able to transfer that. It's going to take him a couple of years to be able to do that. In the meantime, the cost of money for him to be able to start to progress and not to you know, suffer, the, suffer the compounding effects of lost opportunity costs it's, it's tremendous what he's having to do to, to get around that. And this is where I think a lot of people need to start thinking about how to, how to do it now with what they've got.
1: It's one of these games where it's like foresight and planning has a huge amount of value. The yep. time it can take to undo things is interesting. But I, I just want to clarify something there that a lot, I think a lot of people won't be aware of and I wasn't aware of. Mm. If you are that type of business owner that perhaps doesn't look good on paper has some assets that, you know, optimizing for broke, essentially, we'll call mm-hmm. it. Um, there are actually second and third, or what did you call them, third and fourth tier lenders. There are options for you to borrow, yeah. but the interest rates and things you have to go through to get that, you increase the risks and costs of money substantially. I think a lot of people aren't even aware that that market exists. I think they see the big four and maybe Macquarie and ING and they kind of think that's all that's available. Yeah, but Those options do exist, um, but they come with different ramifications or consequences. But the thing I really want to lean into here is if you are this person or if you are a business owner out there that's in that position and you're starting to think, well, maybe one day I do want to do this stuff, how do you start undoing it? How do you even start thinking about that? Was the suggestion to, right, well, you've got to start selling some of these assets you've created for tax advantage like buying expensive cars or anything like that that may have been done here. Is it you need to re-liquidify and sell some of your current assets and change how you look? Is it working on the business so next year's financials look completely different? How do you start to, I suppose, unwind or reconsider that so you can be in good shape again? Yeah, it's a good, it's a good
0: question. And yeah, just, 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 just on your point about the third and fourth tier lenders, a lot of people think that when you start stepping away from the big four, you start, you when you start talking about fourth tier lenders, you're talking about loan sharks, and it's just not the case. Like there are. There are in Australia literally hundreds of different certified uh, banks, non-banks, uh, certified lending institutions, and the like that are all legitimate, uh, you know, financial operation companies. They're not loan sharks. They're not like back deal kind of,
1: you know. No, you, you come see me when you want a loan shark. <laughs> <laughs>
0: totally, you know, and there yeah. are and and there are good options out there. And it's not even just for if you're like, oh my god, you know, I've stuffed up my finances. I need to get something that's um, that's a little different but yeah the, the further the the more complex your financial situation the more you will pay for money it's pretty it's pretty much that you know the higher the risk you know the higher the cost of money it's that simple so in, in some cases you can get no doc hundred uh, percent loans 100% LVR no doc loans. But the interest rate is going to be very high. You'll probably have to pay some risk fees, they'll call them, which could be like $5,000 risk fee, but you just give them five grand just to, for them to compensate the to risk if you're not paying money back to them and stuff. So there's ways around it and ways to do it. Now, the, but the way you can avoid doing that is to start thinking about now, what, what can you do? Now, you ask a few questions there. Uh, what do you do? Do you start selling down assets? Do you recapitalize? And it's really going to depend on what, what is the obstacle that is in the way. That's going to be the big question because sometimes uh, selling down assets may be necessary, but it depends on the assets. You know, if you've in you know if you've got high performing assets that just unfortunately you just can't leverage, but they're very good. Well, it would make no sense to sell them down because they're very good assets, right? So that's not actually the problem. For selling a good asset is uh, to compensate for bad tax strategies is putting good money after bad, and I wouldn't recommend that. But one of the things that I think a lot of people need to think about is is how to optimize their appearance to a lender. So, you know, we've kind of talked about, you know, optimizing for brokers, you said, which is basically like how to minimize tax and rah, rah, rah. So a lot of people might be thinking about this and they go, okay, so what do I need to do? Just maximize my profit. Now I spoke to I spoke to a business owner the other day and they they said, oh, All right, yeah, yeah. So we make about 60%, we make about 60% profit. And I was like, hang on a second, you make 60% profit? Like, surely not. Uh, And then you know, upon conversations with one of the many accountants I spoke to this week, I was talking about that. And they explained to me that that business owner specifically is probably, that's probably gross profit and they're probably paying themselves in dividends or owner drawings or distributions, which actually may not. Even though they may make more money and actually put more money in the bank account each year, might not necessarily be the best solution if they have a plan to actually sort of build wealth outside the business. So what I, I mean, my thinking, and look, I'm not saying it's for everyone. My thinking is that it's the, that pro- probably the best way to go for most people is to actually increase your pay, PAYG um, position and optimize your business towards, you know, that, that kind of wealth structure and strategy to take money out of it. Now, there are different ways of doing it. You know, there's different company structures and it really depends on where you're at in your business, what other assets you've got, who you're investing with, um, what is your cash flow position what is your capital position all of these kind of things but understanding how to do that is going to be on a, on a case-by-case basis but I think the key thing that people need to think about is how do I actually
1: derive how do I actually derive a an, an income from
0: this business on a regular basis?
1: It's a very interesting idea. I know people that do that exact thing where they pay themselves a tiny wage so they only have to put a little bit into their superannuation and then the mm. rest comes out through. Uh, distributions or dividends so they can uh, manipulate how their cash flow works and things like that. And I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but I think if your intent is to uh, invest in property and or even invest in any asset class and you want to look good to borrowers, the equation completely changes. So totally I really like that thinking. But I'm really curious because you've spoken to all these accountants this week. What else was in common when you started having these conversations? Because that's such a good point in even just addressing that and like how different accountants kind of approach your earnings and what they're doing. Did they share, what was your findings in the depths of these conversations?
0: Well, you know, it was really, it was There a couple of really fascinating ones in there. So uh, I'm going to share a couple of stories. So one accountant that I spoke to um, was telling me the story about how he started his business and, um, you know, he'd worked for one of the big, uh, big four, uh, the big, one of the big four uh, professional services companies. So Pricewaterhouse, Coopers, Ernst Young, one of those. Um, so he was working for one of the big accounting firms and decided that after having a, a really fantastic career there in his 20s and he rose up the ranks quite quickly. He was like, Yahoo, I'm off. I'm going to go out on my own. He's about 25, 26. And he thought, all right, I'm going to go and start my own firm. Now, along the way, he had been working with these um, these fairly high net worth individuals. Who, right at that point where he was about to leave one of the one of the big four firms, uh, they started to they formed a conglomerate and they were going to go and buy all these pubs and and hotels and you know businesses. And they said, actually, hey, come work with us, cut your teeth with us, you know, work with us for a little bit. And then uh, and th- that ended up being he ended up staying with them for about five years. They went they bought twelve pubs in the first year and ended up buying something like a hundred different um, pubs along the way. Now. And the interesting thing that this this story led to was he these these individuals in this group, there was, I think it was about five or six of them, they were all worth well over a hundred million dollars net each, right? So very high net worth individuals. And um, and they were all individually, so they're buying all these 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 pubs and hotels and stuff like that, but they were all individually investing in residential real estate. And so, you know, this accountant that I was talking to, he starts he's telling me this story about you know negative gearing. And he's like, Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, I started trying to tell these these very high net worth individuals about negative gearing and how we can offset that. Because what the what those people that were worth over $100 million, $100 million were doing was buying properties either in cash or very low LBRs to get cash flow out of it. And what... The, the accountant tried to explain to them, you know, well, why aren't you optimizing for tax? And they, they literally had never heard of negative gearing.
1: They had literally
0: never heard of it. They, I
1: love that so much. I literally like this is my heart is singing right now. Yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> they, they, so he was telling me about this conversation where he was trying to tell, explain to them the benefits of negative gearing and they were just so confused. They're like, what? What do you mean? Why would I, why would I take my cash and invest it in an asset that didn't produce net cash? That's just dumb, <laughs> yeah, you know. And that was that was, and there was, it was this amazing exchange because that was his first real interaction with understanding positive cash flow real estate, which is why we were having this conversation because we were talking about our strategy, and he was saying how much he loved it, and talking about the story about he how he had actually kind of had this epiphany and gone, oh my god, why am I even thinking about? Properties that don't make money—that's so stupid. Now he's actually gone on to build a very successful and very large accounting firm, and he totally is—is is basically like, well, yeah. I mean, if you want to actually, you know, make revenue and, and all of that kind of stuff, you need to make sure you're optimizing for for cash flow as well. Now, the um, there was another really interesting conversation that I had with a completely different accountant, uh, and you know, he's got a very large firm as well. He's got about, you know. Three and a half thousand clients and all of this kind of stuff, but he personally takes care of a of a little group of very high net worth individuals as well. And um, you know, we were talking about what we do as a business, you know, cash flow growth, the ability to add value. And he was like, "Ah, you know what? I think you know, I think I know who this is going to be best suited for. I've got all these, I've got all these private clients. They're very, very high net worth individuals." yeah, all of them really want cash flow. They all want, you know, 6 7% net yields and they're all buying with cash. I was like, okay, that's. I think it's just so fascinating. They weren't trying to optimize for growth. They weren't playing for tax strategies. They were optimizing for yield. They were saying, where am I going to put my money that is going to produce the most amount of net cash?
1: Yeah, and I would say that what I find absolutely fascinating there and what I would say is almost a touch controversial, but there is that it seems that negative gearing is a strategy for the poor. For a middle class strategy, like if these ultra rich are not thinking about that, yep. then there's got to be a reason. But I almost want to add something into here. I'm I'm very fortunate that I get to uh, see behind some things in internet businesses. Mm-hmm. And I know Jared Krauss has been uh, on the podcast before, yeah, but I've had some dealings with him and some people bearing building very very large internet business portfolios, and all of them are obsessed with cash flow. Like I'm talking like eight-figure internet portfolios. Like that is the obsession. That's all Mm. they care about is how the capital is going to affect cash flow.
0: Yeah, well, we kind of spoke about this last time and this is actually something I spoke about with one of the, you know, 572 different accountants I spoke to in the last week is that, um, you know, building, building capital is very important when you are in the earlier stages of your wealth journey. So I'll say wealth journey because it could be your personal wealth journey, your business wealth journey, or whatever the case may be. You need to build up capital. You know, if you're in business, you need to make sure you have enough cash reserves that if you know something were to happen, you can survive for what a month, whatever a month, two months, three months, whatever the case may be. Building capital and growth, growth in the early phase is really important. You think about this from a business, right? If you've got a, if you start a business and you've got one client. What's prob- probably the most important thing for you in that stage of the business is growth, right? You need to get from one client to, I don't know, maybe 10, right? So gr- growth is very important. And in fact, it might be negative geared on energy, right? You might be like, oh, man, <laughs> man, I need to, I need to, my, my ROE is negative. You know? My return on energy is negative. I'm like, I'm, I'm doing the work of uh, like as if I've got 20 clients just to try and get to 10. Right, and so this energy dispersion. So, in it, all all, res- all all resource doesn't matter what it is or what or how it's embodied, whether it be you know cash, intellectual equity, whatever the ca- case may be. It's all energy in some way. It's all required a certain amount of calories to be exchanged to get to that point. So, now in that initial phase, if you're optimizing for growth, that's probably quite important. And you're going to have to go negative on something to probably to get there. You're going to have to invest. But then at a certain point you've got to say okay well now i've gotten to let's just say 10 clients do i need to try and go another 10x do i need to go from 1 to 10 and then 10 to 100 clients or now that i've optimized for growth to a certain point now what am i optimizing for now you may have 10 clients you may say well if all i had was 10 clients and if i could just keep 10 clients and if i only ever had 10 clients would that be okay? Would that be my growth base? Is that as big as my? Is that as big as that needs to be? And then you can start thinking. Well, now what do I optimize for? Is it more profit, more cash flow, or that kind of stuff? And I think this is a big kind of shift. Now, if you're in the early stages in your portfolio journey and you and your property journey, and you've maybe saved up your first forty thousand dollars, or hell, maybe your first twenty five thousand dollars, and you go, okay, what's probably the most important thing? Turning that we'll say that $25,000, turning that $25,000 into $100,000, okay? So 4 x your capital in growth, that would be that be a very good goal to have and to do that in a shorter period of time. Now, let's say then you've gotten that to $100,000 of, of wealth or capital. Do you want to turn that $100,000 into $400,000? Might be a good idea. Might be a good idea. But then if you do want to turn that $400,000 of capital into... 1.6 million dollars of capital, or should you start to optimize for something differently? So, at a certain point, that growth is growth is really only an early early stage indicator. And I think at a certain point, you're going to go, okay, where where have I where have I created enough equity? Equity being uh, relationship capital, um, time capital, leverage, uh, money, um, you know, all of these kind of different you know leverageable leverageable assets. Where have I created enough e- equity to start optimizing? for a broader wealth strategy which is for it to, be able to create more essentially make more work less
1: you know can i tell a funny story here go for it so i think i um, i love this conversation because it's challenged parts of my own journey um which is always really interesting mm. um once you're through let's call it the foundation or the survival stage and you've got a business that's let's say churning out a, a reasonable amount of profit or you're starting to hit that growth curve One of the things I I look back on now is I I got a little bit obsessed with paying down my mortgage at Mm. one stage. I um, really, really was on the uh, Dave Ramsey bandwagon, paying down my debt, smashing it, feeling like a hero every single month, watching that go down. And what I didn't necessarily understand at that time is that I was actually limiting my business substantially because I was maintaining it and not allowing for any like capex or reinvestment. Mm. I look at that now and I I go back to it and just look at I had under invested in my business Mm. and actually lost market share and opportunity because my competition were growing. They were reinvesting. So one of the things I kind of look back on and I think that I wish I had been more fluid in my thinking was balancing that conversation, not feeling like it. Okay, I have to be all in on paying my mortgage now and I couldn't possibly invest in my business or not having the foresight of understanding to recognize, well, there can be times when both are important. Yeah. And you should actually treat it more like a dial where you can move and flow with, depending on where the best optimization is. And it's certainly something I think a lot about now, because like even in this moment is like, I see opportunities uh, to expand my business into areas that I think are gonna be very, very lucrative long-term. But I also see opportunities in property and things that I wanna do there, and accepting that doing all at once isn't actually a good idea at all mm. and timing things and being selective in where I want to put my focus for the best result overall is something I'm really putting a lot more energy in now. But I only recognize that because of the mistake of under-investing with the obsession of paying down the mortgage at, at one point in my life.
0: Totally. Well, anything done to an extreme, I think, can be detrimental over the long term. You know, so... For for example, so you know, you know, in my personal health journey, I went from being very overweight to probably a little underweight, and I did that fairly quickly by having a very uh, restrictive diet. You know, over the over the over the past few months, you know, I've you know been a little bit more lackadaisical in my exercise and eating habits and all of that kind of stuff. And I got to a point, a new quarter, and I was thinking, you know what? All right, I've got some new health and fitness goals. Great now. I want to achieve them over a certain period of time. And I, my initial thought was, like, okay, I want to drop X amount of kilos, I want to increase X amount of muscle, and I want to decrease X amount of body fat over, over say, a, a three-month period. And then I sort of thought about that and I was like, hang on a second. That means that I've got to be doing X per day or X per week or X per month to be able to achieve that result. And then I had to sort of think, okay, but what impact might that have on other parts of my life? And it's very easy to go to an extreme on based on an ideal. So, for example, if I said, and this is not my goal, by the way, but if I said, all right, I want to lose 20 kilos in the next three months, could I do that? Well, yeah, absolutely. Like, yeah, absolutely, you can lose 20 kilos in three months. That's not the question. The question is, how might that, if I did pursue that, and if that became the singular goal, how might that affect my work productivity? Could that actually decrease business profits? You know, maybe. Because- yeah, maybe, maybe I might not have the focus or the energy or my my, my uh, priorities in the wrong place, all of that kind of stuff. So you've got to kind of think about these same same things. Any 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 shift in priority or strategy requires requires a reallocation of resources. Resources are essentially. Um, at any given point in time, finite. Now, you can expand your resource pool through leverage and opportunity and stuff like that, but you only ever have whatever resources you can access at a certain point in time. And anytime you want to focus on a new priority or a new strategy, you must reallocate resources. So therefore... You need to kind of think about, well, where do I want to pull the dial? So, okay, do I actually all right? Is it worth me crashing my business to lose 20 kilos? <clears throat> probably not. Okay. Well, you know, what if I lose 20 kilos over the next 12 months? Would that be a little better? Maybe, maybe I could also increase my profitability at the same time by, you know, you know, five, five percent per quarter for the next 12. You know, like you can kind of think about these things and have you can actually have it all. But if you try and go to an extreme and say, well, all I want—I want all of this one thing. You're probably going to be compromising on another. So, if you're thinking about, you know, in in your business, and you're going, okay, well, I'm making X amount per month. If I go and just go to that bank account, if I'm a business owner and I make an X amount per month, we'll call it just, it would just for arguments' sake, we'll call it fifty thousand a month, right? If I go. Well, I made fifty grand this month. I've got fifty thousand dollars in the bank right now. Uh, what am I going to? I want to. Oh man, I, I heard. I heard Goose and Charlie talking about building wealth and real estate. Right? I go to the bank, I withdraw all that cash, and I go and dump it in a property straight away. Well, then you might not be able to pay your bills. Your, your business might actually break. You might not even have a business to fund that kind of future growth. So you really got to think about how these things operate in harmony and synergy. I think. I think that. I think there's there's kind of uh, a, a real beauty in the synchronicity and the the synergy of these ideas, rather than the disparate polarity of it. I don't think it is create a business so that you can rape, pillage, and plunder your business to buy a property. I think it is build a business, think about personal wealth. Think about how you can optimize your business for stability and growth and keep your foot nice on the, on the, on the, on the pedal, moving towards where you want to go, but make sure you're not compromising your, uh, the other part of your life, which is personal wealth. How, how, how do I want to live? What life do I want to have outside of business? What happens when I get to 30, 40, 50, 60 years old? What if I want change? What if this business doesn't exist anymore? How can I create more stability?
1: Do you know what? I'm coming to appreciate the elegance of balance. Like mm-hmm. I really am. When I see people that have like got multiple areas of their life that they've been chipping away at for a long time in that harmony, it's it's a beautiful thing. It, it really is. But I almost come to think in the business owners that I know, their ability to go hyper focused and hyper hard is what made them. Like that elegancy of uh, what we're discussing here wouldn't have cut it. So I, I look at it and go, this is almost like the kryptonite and success of many, many business owners is their ability to be obsessive, their ability to go like hyper hard on an area, do the 20 kilos in three weeks.
0: Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs>
1: it's like their thing. Well, to- totally,
0: but how many how many famous artists have died broke?
1: Oh, that has a deep... Deep thought, right there.
0: Yeah, because they, so, they same, went, with like, same with business 100%,
1: owners. Same with business owners. Hundred
0: percent. They built the best widget. They've gone. All right, I'm gonna, mm. a million miles an hour in one direction, and kind of forgot that all of this other stuff exists. I mean, you look at Nietzsche, one of the greatest philosophers of the last of the last century, died alone with syphilis in the mount in the in the Swiss Alps. You know, like broke alone and now he's celebrated as one of the greatest thinking minds of the last 100 years you know like this kind of stuff happens all the time the the idea is that you know you it really depends on what you're optimizing for if you're optimizing for great greatness and you want to become the greatest at x if you want to become you know the elon musk of the world guess what elon musk sacrifices things there are parts of his life that are that are not optimized However, I would suggest that for most people that that is not, those kind of outliers are not the goal.
1: I think there's an interesting correlation between the um, richest and wealthiest people in the world and the divorce rate. I really, really think that relationships is an area that they neglected in order to achieve, for those that did it from nothing, not those who inherited it. I, you if you know look what? at it, it's an I- interesting, interesting correlation
0: yeah you, yeah interesting you say that but I actually was reading a a, a Dan a book by Dan Kennedy um, where he was actually analyzing um, uh, the affluent and he actually said that one of the one of the biggest correlations was actually the marriage success rate of, the, of self-made high net, high net worth individuals
1: yeah the, the step up I'm talking like the Bezos, the Elon Musks like the the definitely affluent that I've read that same study and I've looked at the Dan, the Dan Kennedy stuff and seen mm. it. I find that really fascinating that, and my conclusion or assumption was that, okay, because they were a touch more affluent, maybe they didn't have the money stress that contributes to a lot of unsuccessful yeah. relationships or insert things there. Um, or different families, like maybe certain families, better cultures and values, they, they treat relationships differently. But if you look at the like from rags to absolute riches, Be- Bezos, Musk, yeah, yeah, yeah. like Buffett, all divorced. Like yep. the, the number of them at the absolute pinnacle of height is that that's an area.
0: Yeah, no, no, totally, I, and I would I would agree with that wholeheartedly. So yeah, I would agree I would agree with that perspective wholeheartedly. And and I think this is where kind of where the thinking for me, like going back to the the, the whole start and the whole reason around this episode, you know, optimizing. What are you optimizing for? You know, are you optimizing to uh, have your name written down in the history books forevermore for creating the best widget in your field? Is that Probably it? Probably not. <laughs> Most people, not. And I'm not. If it is you, awesome. That's fantastic. I'm absolutely enraptured for you, and I, I wish you the best on your journey. But the reality is, and I'm someone who's overly ambitious. I'm someone who can barely contain my own levels of of uh, energy and thought and all of that kind of stuff. And I'm finding myself going now. It's like actually, what's more important? Do I do I want to grow the biggest company in the world, or you know, do I want to optimize my business for wealth? You know, and it's these kind of thinkings, thinkings that I I believe will challenge business owners to think about how to structure what their activities, you know, and how to look at their numbers a little differently. You know, understanding what the understanding what the numbers mean in your business. So many business owners uh, are happy to play the artist or the operator role. I mean, they're like, I'm either creating, and look at me, I'm going to keep creating more of my specific art, or, or I'm going to, you know, I'm going to do, and I'm just going to keep doing, and I just keep doing, 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 and eventually I'm going to get somewhere without actually understanding how to be the, how to operate as an actual owner, or, you know, a, an investor level of their, of their business. And look at actually, what's it actually doing? What's it actually producing? And why is it producing those things? And what is the function of what it produces? You know, why. Why does it, does it matter whether you produce 20% net profit or 30% net profit or 40% net profit if you have no idea what the function of that profit is? You know, it really doesn't matter. Cutely. Yeah.
1: I just think there's probably a disconnect as well. Like, I, I wonder how many business owners, if you ask them the question, would their activities match up with what they think they're optimizing for? Like, or if they even had that conversation and they all think it's <sighs> to your point of earlier in the episode, it's just all going to happen someday.
0: Yeah, I, I, yeah, I'm. I'm going to put it out there. I reckon 99 percent of business owners have not even asked themselves, "What am I optimizing for?" I, and I would suggest that. I would suggest that that is a really great first point of call, because what what a lot of business owners are going to find is that they've they're probably just created a job. Because what they've done is they've gone, I'll oh, build a business. All right, hang on a second. What's the next thing I need to do? Well, I'm making $50,000 a month. Okay, well, I better get that up to $100,000 a month. But then to get to $100,000 a month, I'm probably gonna need to hire two more employees. Okay. Well, that's okay because that'll probably work. So then I get to that point and then I'm like, all right, so then what do I do now? I get, well, let's go to $150,000 a month uh, and that means I'll hire three more employees and yeah, my business is getting bigger. Okay, I think I'm winning. I've got a bigger sandcastle. Look at me. Look at me. I'm getting bigger. I'm getting bigger and I'm getting bigger without actually asking what's it for? Like what's the point? Like, what am I, what are you actually optimizing for? Are you optimizing for number of employees? Is
1: that the goal? Is that the goal? <sighs> Stop! And stop taking stabs. This episode's had enough. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just like I it was my self worth and ego. I was like, sweet. I loved rocking up at the party and saying, yeah, I have got twenty five employees. I've got a seven figure company. I mean, I can't pay myself. And I've got overdue bills because I don't understand cash flow. But I can say that.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Totally. And it's due to hectic. You know the amount of business owners that aren't uh, thinking about, what is it like. What you know? Shit. I mean, there's so many different ways to think about it, huge. and that. Uh, that that, that um, you know some people optimize for a number of businesses. You know the amount of entrepreneurs that I've met are like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm a serial entrepreneur, I own twenty nine companies. It's like, okay. Like, registered. you mean twenty nine domain
1: names? Um. Well, maybe, maybe I don't know.
0: But it's like, what do they do? Like, you own twenty nine companies. What's going on? Like, are they profitable? What do they do? How? What's the operating structure? Are you the director of all of them? Do you have any employees? Is that the goal? What, what field are they in? Why do you own twenty nine? Whatever. Like, all of this kind of stuff. What are you optimizing for? Is it status? Is it status, or is it security, or is it wealth, or is it? legacy. And all of these different things are going to have different connotations because when you start to think about what is the optimization goal, that's going to really allow you to, to think about what to do. Because on the, look, on the converse side of this, you'll probably find business owners who uh, think that their goal is to grow their business big, but then they take every cent off the table and they pay themselves a lot and their cost of living has gone up. You know, they've gone from earning $10,000 a month to $100,000 a month in their business. Um, they've kept costs low. They take more money off the table. They've got a nicer car, a bigger house. Their cost of living has gone up. They don't actually make any more money, they've just increased their expenses. So they've gone, they've 10x the, the income of their business, but it may be only 1.2x the actual surplus cash flow in the business. And they're going, yeah, but I'm, I'm growing my business. I'm going to grow a $10 million company or whatever the case may be. Uh, but they're actually—that's actually never going to happen because they're taking all the money out of it. So you've got to understand that. That what is what is the goal? I think it's a big one. Hugely, hugely. Nice. Anything else to add to this conversation, Charlie? Because I think this really dovetails. Just quickly, I think this dovetails into a really interesting conversation around um, um, estate planning, future planning, and stuff like that. And I know that you've actually you actually brought a lot of really interesting ideas to the table. Uh, to me, in this in this field, so I really want to dig into that maybe in the next episode. But is there anything you wanted to add to this to to add to this kind of paradigm?
1: No, I think this is the whole thing we've created here. We'll cover more in a future episode, of course. And I'm thrilled this series is continuing, and the feedback has been so good. Yeah. But uh, I love the idea of what are you actually optimizing for being the point of this episode, and I hope that leaves even just one business owner reconsidering what that is for them in their life.
0: Yeah, and you know what, I would really. We've been saying this, you know. If you listen to these episodes and you are enjoying them and you get a lot out of it, let us know. Like, send us a message, um, send us an email, or whatever the case may be, and let us know because we love the feedback. It's really, it's actually really uh, enriching to know that we're we're helping business owners to even in some way, even just to think a little differently, even to crack open a little nugget somewhere along the line. And I would love to know if this how this episode maybe has has impacted or not impacted the way you're thinking about your business. In fact, if you already think like this and if you're already saying, no, 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 I already know what I'm optimizing for and isn't it great that we're having this conversation? Let us know. I'd love to know what you're optimizing for. And it doesn't need to be for wealth. I'm I'm interested. Uh, Everyone's got a different perspective. Uh, So yeah, if this has benefited you or impacted you in some way, then please reach out to us and let us know. I think we've we've got a lot of gold still in the basket that we need to distribute. So I'm looking forward to the next one, Charlie. Me too. Awesome. Guys, thanks for listening. And as ever, if you've liked this, make sure you share it with somebody else, subscribe and do all that good stuff. And if you want to get some resources, guides, schools, all of that kind of stuff and connect with us, just head to theinvestorlab.com.au. But otherwise, we'll see you on the next episode. Catch you later.